I'm Ian Dalimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. Cleveland, Ohio, the super radio. You know, kind of the Michael Scott philosophy. A penny for your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome back, everybody. My next guest, he has had bosses by the name of Ted Turner and David Stern. He's a showman. I like to call the host of the greatest out-of-home show on earth. Everyone may know it as Video Everywhere. He has the largest Rolodex and has a personal connection with some of the global industry giants. He's recently taken up basement surfing, and we'll touch on that in a moment. This is my very good friend, president and CEO of the DPAA, which is the Global Digital Out-of-Home Trade and Marketing Association, Mr. Barry Fry. This is a treat, and I'm a little nervous about interviewing you. Well, let's do this. Well, man, it is a treat for me, Ian. You are one of the best of the best. And thank you for such a lovely and probably overly inflated introduction. But it's great to see you, man. And it is kind of nice for me to be on the other side of, uh, of the interview here. It is, it's good for me. Thank you. It really is. And I appreciate the kind words as well. So a lot of my listeners, unfortunately, don't know much about you, but we're going to change that today. And a lot of folks that are listening do know you very well, but we're going to kind of dive in because like I'd mentioned in the intro, you are a great friend of mine, love your lovely wife and your family, just great people. And we can touch on some of the cool things we've done for your daughter's wedding, et cetera. But I think one of the, the things that intrigued me most about you, Barry, was your you're just passionate about everything. And I love it because I'm the same way. I think my dad taught me, you know, everyone that you meet, be curious. And that was the first thing that I learned about you. Probably met you maybe eight years ago. And I was like, man, this guy has energy. He's got passion. And over the years, it's just evolved into this great friendship. And you've introduced me to some great people. And I think maybe I've done the same. I'll let you hang out with John Miller, which is, is a treat in itself. An honor and a pleasure for sure. Yeah. So let's get started. And I think our listeners would love to kind of hear your journey prior to the DPAA. You've, you and I were, were discussing a few weeks back at the, at the summit and you were telling me a little bit about how you actually got into the out-of-home industry, how you started your own poster company in college. Yeah. Caught me by surprise. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. There's kind of a lot about me that people don't know there's a, a lot of layers there it gets complicated uh, as it gets unearthed and it gets interesting and then times of it are probably very boring at the same time but yeah I actually was always very busy during college and one of my favorite exploits actually started I was doing public relations as kind of a part-time job whilst in college for Stanley H. Kaplan uh, law boards and MCAT reviews and SATs and then I ended up that morphed into kind of consulting and helping him on advertising. And I got a pretty good contract to put up uh, posters all over the New York City universities, about 30-odd colleges throughout the whole New York metropolitan area. And then I ended up getting a contract for a few bookstores and then for some local concerts and other advertisers that wanted to reach college students in the New York metropolitan area. And it went from Long Island to Westchester to New Jersey, up through Connecticut. And then I ended up hiring about five of my friends and I, I armed them with staple guns. And we had a, uh, a six-man task force that went out and basically blanketed all the schools. And I, I branded the company Post-It with an exclamation point at the end because we posted it all over. And it was kind of pretty successful and a lot of fun. You got a chance to see a lot of schools, meet a lot of people. And actually, the 
funny. I haven't thought about this in a while, Ian, but I, I was at St. John's University. I found a stairwell that had a great window on one of the poster board areas, and it was very early non-digital analog type of measurement. And I was basically staring out the window on the third floor of this university, trying to understand the movement of people in and around the board and uh, how long the dwell time was, what ads they were looking at, what uh, where their eyes glanced up, down, or sideways to get a sense of the impact of the advertising, which maybe did formulate a lot of this. And then one of the St. John's uh, teachers came down in his, his full uh, Catholic regalia, and he was looking at me staring out the window, and he said, a penny for your thoughts, son. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, thank you, Father. And, uh, and then he went down the rest of the stairs, and I went back to uh, understanding the movement of traffic and people around poster boards and universities. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So, And we'll touch on your interesting career. But you were a modern-day bill poster back in the day. You literally were some of our friends at Quavidia. You were the geopath. You were sitting on gold, Barry. You were well well ahead of your time in all of the measurements and the analytics that you could have could have retired at age twenty. Well, that's very funny. You're right. Like Quimidi, the you're looking at video analytics. I was using my uh, my two eyeballs as video analytics. But yeah, I was always very busy in college. I, I spent the one summer working actually for the BBC. We we produced a television series. I was a, an assistant gaffer. Uh, where we went around to musical artists. It was called The History of Popular Music. And uh, we went up to some great jazz musicians, to their homes, to their apartments, to uh, concerts. I was on stage with Eric Clapton. And and then uh, one summer, I uh, I worked at, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, the 1260 Super Radio, the, the basic rock in the big town, rock in the town, all of the rock and roll radio. That was in Cleveland, Ohio, the town of rock and roll. <laughs> so I, I always kind of kept myself busy in and around media and, and, and sales. So that then led on to a, a very long, a decade at Turner. You worked for USA Networks. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how you transitioned from the radio side and the media side of the world and dove into, at this time, was the premier cable network, which was Turner Industries. Yeah, it was a, it was a great company and still is known today as one of the best media sales forces and best media companies uh, around the globe. So I was there early on. And in a sense, Ian, you know, I've always had the same job and, and I have the same job today. And, and the job I was doing then, which translates to now, is I've always noticed where media was undergoing change due to technology. And at that time, television, uh, due to technological satellite and other innovations was morphing into a satellite multi-channel business. Same as today, we in out-of-home are aggressively moving into the digitization of the out-of-home business. And so I've always kind of had the same job. And what I mean by that is that technology changed television in those days and consumers uh, changed their habits uh, due to the innovations in media. And therefore, I, for most of my career, for better or worse, have been on the forefront of helping the advertising community embrace those changes and helping the media owners adjust those changes to deliver to brands, advertisers, and consumers. So, and quite very simply, the same thing we're doing now. We're helping the advertising community understand and embrace the wonderful tech changes and innovations in out-of-home 
At the same time, we are helping the media owners package up these changes and opportunities for advertisers, brands, agencies, and consumers, plus municipalities and others. So uh, jumping back in that kind of metaphorical long transition, with Turner, I've had the lucky fortune of spending many times one-on-one in, in sales calls and even walking to sales calls with Ted Turner, which was also quite exciting, walking through the streets of New York, going to ad agencies with Ted, who was probably a little bit more known amongst the, the people on the street those days for owning the Braves than for his innovations in marketing and media. But we would go to agencies, Ian, and they'd say, nice to see you, Barry and Ted. Ted, could I have your autograph? Uh, <laughs> Barry, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> and then I would crawl out from the corner and uh, they'd say, oh, well, nice to see you guys. You know, we actually have radio out of home, uh, TV, print budgets, but, you know, we don't have any cable TV budgets. And we would attempt to make the case that, once again, technology has changed media. And while you've been buying three or four television channels, there are now 40 channels available. And they're available for consumers and advertisers. And and consumers are starting to embrace these changes. So shouldn't you, if your real job is trying to sell Toyotas, as opposed to accumulate rating points, you know, shouldn't you really be interested in reaching people where they are and, and in more effective, more targeted ways? So we found some good friends and neighbors at the agencies that embraced that rather quickly. But there were many that were a little hesitant to change because of you know elements of, um, of the way it's been built in. And things are tough to change at times when you're handling a lot of money. So we did spend a lot of time going to the planning groups, the strategists, the comp planners, as well as the brands. And we spent a lot of time, Ted and I and the others, talking to the brands and explaining You've got to give your agencies permission to make these shifts in your media spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a new, better product out today, and that should start taking a portion of your monies because we can help sell Toyotas. We can help sell soap. We can help sell brands because they are being watched, and we could do it more efficiently in a more targeted, more dynamic manner. Sounds similar. Yeah. And and look, I look back and a lot of people look at your career and they're like, wow, Ted Turner, David Stern, NBA. And you think of this, this career path and you're like, wow, he's worked for some industry giants and media giants. But now hearing you talk about this, it's like you're in a movie and you're having flashbacks and then you're flash forwarding to today. And you're, you and I've had these conversations. What you just described was the beginning of my career at Lamar is going into ad agencies and explaining to them what a, what a digital billboard was. And they were like, oh, we, we would never share space. And it's the same thing that you dealt with. Why would I buy a, a cable channel that, that only reaches X number of people? So it, it's interesting because you've always been kind of innovative and forward thinking throughout your career well before your time. And so you move on to the NBA. And I'm, I'm assuming you got some great David Stern stories. But the NBA, I think one of the things that intrigued me about that is you helped roll out what is now today NBA.com and the e-commerce web world of the NBA? Yeah, we basically helped digitize the league, uh, NBA as well as WNBA as well as globalize it in those days. And yeah, there's a lot of great Ted Turner and David Stern stories of which I can't tell you all of them, at least not until we meet for our next beer, my friend. But they were both uh, and I must say, they were both brilliant men, brilliant strategists, brilliant marketing men, brilliant salespeople, and really helped build businesses. I may take a, a, take a couple steps backward. One is 
You talked about you selling the early digital billboards at Lamar. I want to congratulate Lamar. Is it 20 years yeah, to 20, like two weeks ago? Yeah, 20 years this year of, of digital out of home. Yeah. And we had a great guest, Bobby Switzer, who was kind of the, I deemed him as the godfather. And he gave us all careers. So I think you owe him a check as well as I do. I think so. I yeah. think so. Yeah, you, you've done a great job with these podcasts. And just congratulations to Lamar always. You know, not only being, I think, probably the biggest in terms of revenue out of home company in the world, but but also tremendously innovative, and that's and that is really a testament to Lamar because it's challenging for companies that are big and huge and successful to pivot and turn, and and Lamar has done that uh, by dint of what we just talked about—twenty years of you know creating the first digital uh, billboard. So, yeah. congratulations! I, I, to take a bit of a pit stop, so we're chronologically in order, so I don't get lost after the. Um, Turner experience, I went on to do similar with other channels and other countries. So I went on to USA Networks where I was part of the launch team for Sci-Fi. I was part of the launch team for TNT, and then I was part of the launch team for Sci-Fi Channel domestically and then Sci-Fi Europe. And then I also was part of the launch team for USA, Brazil, and USA and Sci-Fi Latin America. And then I ended up running BizDev for USA Domestic. And then I ran marketing and sales for the channels around the world, including we uh, gained representation contracts, and I helped launch Euronews out of uh, Ecouli, which is uh, near Lyon in, in France. Mm-hmm. And basically, we went out to the rest of the world and said that media has changed through technology, and now you've got to shift your, your TV and other buying habits and uh, create monies, budgets, plans, strategies for uh this cable satellite business around the world. And then I added, with the Hallmark channels, I added Asia to my portfolio, having offices in uh, New York, London, Miami, uh, Singapore. Wow. So, um, so I got a good taste of uh, that. Yeah. yeah, so the challenges of introducing a new product, both internally and externally from a sales perspective, talk to us a little bit about that, because that, that had to have been difficult, because it's very similar to what a lot of publishers in the out-of-home space are dealing with today. And I think a lot of times we in the out-of-home industry, we get caught up in this whole world of like, all right, all I have to do is sell my first campaign for this product type and we'll be off. And they forget about the challenges that you probably went through at NBA specifically on selling through the idea like, hey, we need to have an online presence or we need to have a better way to, you know, sell audience segmentations at Turner Media, at Hallmark, at USA Networks, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would just add to that. After that, I went on to Cablevision, one of the largest cable operators, and built out the mobile platforms for advertisers, uh, connected TV, addressable TV, video on demand TV. And also I built out the advertiser online platforms. So yes, and that also was a very successful company basically selling monthly subscriptions of triple play. So to enact everybody to get on board for these new innovative advertiser products is, is always a challenge. And what is needed is basically understanding all the customers and constituents. And in a case like that, yes, it's the advertiser and what can serve the advertiser better. Also, what is the consumer or the fan looking for and how do you serve that? And then how do you serve all the individual constituencies within the company? Marketing, sales, revenue, finance, etc. And it really takes, uh, it, it takes not only an internal listening, an external listening, 
but also a bit of a, a management by walking around, you know, which you've heard the term, to really understand what people are about. Because at the end of the day, what they believe in and who they've been also affects how people work. I'll give you an example of that. Ian. So at the Hallmark Channel, which was kind of relatively, well, let's say somewhat commercial-free in different parts of the world, and then we evolved this advertising model because it was great, wonderful, family-loving programming content that actually played in just about any market. We found out after a while that our commercials were not running very well in certain countries. And first, I noticed the revenues were down. Then I dug into the spot availabilities of where the commercials were running. And then I noticed that the commercial breaks were somewhat uneven, somewhat not there. And I was trying to figure it out. And I just did this management by walking around. I walked into kind of everybody's office. I said hello and, you know, just had conversations on how their life was. And I, I wandered one day into the film editor's room where they were sitting there editing these glorious, big, Hallmark 35-millimeter films. And I just kind of sat down and started talking to them. And I found out something really interesting, Ian. I found out these were film purists. Mm. And these, these guys and gals were sitting there loving Hallmark films, loving the acting, loving the messaging, loving the family values, loving the film, and, there you go, hating the idea that they had to chop up these films to mm. put commercial breaks inside. Oh, yeah. So so they didn't, or they didn't do it well, and they were just so against it in their soul. And so I spent an afternoon with them describing how, in a longer way than this, how their paychecks came from advertisers, how yeah. the business model evolved, how it came from distribution and advertising, and how we still want to do it tastefully. We still want to do it carefully. We want to keep the high end and flavor environment of the great Hallmark programming uh, at a high level, yet the business was evolving. So there's an example, a long answer to your question of evolving change internally and then externally, as we know, has its own challenges. Yeah. And I think the takeaway for me there is, and we talk about this a lot, it's not, you know, don't let sales drive every decision that you make, especially on the technology side. But in this situation, it was the film purists, which I can appreciate, you know, hey, this is how we can tastefully weave in an advertising that is relevant to this moment in time. So it almost probably helped you guys out because then now you're selling the advertiser on the content on a deeper level. So now the advertiser feels like they're a part of this tearjerker station that my mom loves to watch and everyone loves to watch this time through, you know, December 31st. And that's an interesting take that I never thought about from the Hallmark perspective, you know, the authenticity of the ad and the importance of the group. Right. But if I could just kind of turn it back to, to Lamar for a moment, sure. we ended up taking the big picture solution there that yes, at the end of the day was much better in the long term. And as opposed to kind of making that quick, immediate sale or forcing it down someone's throat. You know, you guys, Ian, you and John Miller and Tommy was so good at this, especially during COVID, where you guys went out and you spoke to all your customers. You didn't say to them, you know, we're going to keep charging you. We're going to keep, you know, ramming it down. We're going to be flexible. We're just going to spend some time with you. We're going to understand you as the customer. And, I've been looking at your stock lately. I mean, it, you guys are really doing something right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great testament, once again, to Lamar, 
where you guys take the big picture, the good approach, as opposed to the short approach. Am I correct? Yeah, spot on. And and that's one of the biggest things at Lamar. We have 900 local reps and where you live, eat, play with these people, they're not just a quick commission check. And yes, during COVID, uh, at the end of the day, it's we're all people and we're all humans. And when you gratefully had me on your podcast with Todd Graves, you know, the CEO and founder of Raising Canes, we talked about that as well, is just be a good human. Now right. is not the time for sales and it's going to pay itself back mm-hmm. tenfold. Always. We're big believers of that. It's a personal testament, as you know, of mine. Yep. And, you know, I, I've been lucky and fortunate in this role where I've been able to attract the good humans to our global DPW community. And it's a good place to be. So anyway. So let's talk about that. You've been the president and the CEO of the DPAA for the last eight years, eight plus years. What attracted you to the out-of-home space? Because you had an illustrious career and and everyone always says like TV is sexy and everything else is just kind of like, meh. Sure. Well, you know, it's kind of not that much different than like we spoke before. and, And I've, done for my whole career, I saw the huge potential for innovation, growth, and digitization. That is always what's been attracting me. When when things kind of get boring and, and operationalized, I tended to get a, a little bored by that. And I saw that we at, at of Home are still on the precipice of wonderful digitization, innovation, change, and certainly growth. And you know, I just love building companies. I Interestingly, I've always kind of been a bit of an entrepreneur. I've always worked within USA, NBA, Cablevision to be the entrepreneur inside utilizing the resources to build out my own businesses. So that was what first attracted me. And of course, you know, some of my own experience with Post-it in the early days. Right, for sure. And the biggest thing that, that the DPAA and a lot of our listeners benefit from is are those relationships that you've had over the years and also the technology of companies. And you know, the biggest change, I would agree with you, we're, we're definitely at the infancy of our industry. And if we do it right, if we embrace this technology correctly, we invite new tech companies in, that's going to be a game changer for, for our space. So as far as technology goes, oftentimes you have people, especially in the out-of-home space, that have been doing this forever. And there's one way of doing it. You're just selling a location. You're selling real estate. And now that has evolved Talk to us a little bit about, and yourself and your entire team at the DPAA has done a great job of just education. And I feel that if you don't educate on technology, the technology can be the greatest tech in the world. But if you're not educating the buyers, the brands, it's not going to go anywhere. Absolutely right, Ian. I almost see it as the ideal emerging of IQ and EQ. On the IQ side, you have brilliant engineers that have created great technology and algorithms. But it doesn't stand and sell itself. You need the EQ and you need the education and the learning and the experimentation. And I recall it was probably five, six years ago where on the chalkboard in front of my board members and then in front of our whole membership laid out the imperative and importance of programmatic. And at that time, everybody said, no, it's going to be a race to the bottom. The CPMs are cheap. You know, it's lowering the value of our industry is going to take time and effort. And I remember saying, look, you've got to sell long-term, high-touch, high-feel. You've also got to have the medium-term where you're working with the agencies and the 13-week flights. And then you've also got to address this new marketplace, this digital marketplace, this more closer-in, less-touch, less-feel marketplace. And if managed correctly, 
by driving dynamically the best day parts, the best audience, the best movement of people, you could actually get higher CPMs because it's a law of, of the math of media that the more targeted you get, the higher your CPMs are. So I went through a lot of those drills and there were a lot of people that said, no, we're not comfortable with it. Then we've got to hook up all the pipes and that's going to take time and risk and energy. And Ian, there's a great term that I, I'm, I'm a bit of a student of Churchill and, and he has a great line during the war, World War II. He said, leadership is not about pushing people, but understanding where they need to go and enabling them to get there. So we set up a series of events, activities, training, learning multipliers at DPAA throughout the industry that enable the industry to get where it needed to go. And that was more digital. That was more programmatic. And, you know, Churchill said it best, but leadership is is really key. It involves a little bit of calculated risk-taking. It enables a lot of vision, a lot of sweat, guts, hours, time, and tears, but you know, you kind of have to have a sense of where it needs to go. And I, I have always found myself to be a student of media as well as a professor of media. And while, yes, I've been a professor and the leader, I find by being curious, by being a student, by looking around the corners, by understanding a lot of business and people and consumer needs, that you can understand where things are going and where they need to go. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, that's kind of always attracted me to to spend more time and, and have text messages and, and give you random phone calls about is, is that curiosity. And, you know, oftentimes we play this game and we play like the, what if, like, what if we use this technology and tied it into out of home and digital, what could happen? And one of the things that I love, and, and it's a big part of the DPAA and a lot of your, your leadership is you then attract a lot more tech companies to kind of come into the space. And they begin to say like, you know what, let's, let's play with facial recognition and, and how this can work in the world or how could we count that consumer journey? Once again, you're well ahead of your time years ago. And that curiosity is only going to lead to more people wanting to be a part of that. And, you know, it's the shiny red ball effect where wherever that shiny red ball goes, you're going to follow a group of people that are futurists, that are innovative forward thinkers that are going to want to test, learn and play. And, and what you've done is you've un, unveiled a lot of people that are like, wow, and, and massive name brands that are like, wow, I never thought out of home could do this. And now they've become fans of it. And you have the tech companies that are, that are huge champions of it. And they grow within your organization because of those relationships. And, you know, hey, let me introduce Ian to this person and this person here. And then now you begin to see kind of the gardens grow as a metaphorically speaking about it. I think you said it really well. And by the way, those texts from Ian in the middle of stuff, I just love it. You are, I think, one of the only people outside of my wife that I actually answer the texts when I'm doing these like global broadcasts and, and all these events. Because you're, you're always, you've got a nugget of inspiration and curiosity that just puts a smile on my face and, and gets me to, to go on with whatever I'm doing. So keep those cards, texts, and letters coming in. You're right. But I think what we've done to your point, too, is that we've made out of home and the out of home ecosystem a friendly place to test and learn, to experiment, to innovate and to create. And, you know, a lot of times industries, you know, stall or a lot of times industries don't move forward because they haven't set that tone of show me, tell me, ask me, let me be curious. What can we do together? 
And I think that's so critical for the industry to show that we're out there. Of course, we have to be out there. But to show that we are looking to take the next step, that we are looking to get digital every day. Your, your friend from Keynes, he said that the best thing that you all should do is go digital as quick as you can. And by the way, our heritage is digital. And, and our goal is to promote out-of-home revenue around the world, our media owners, and also to get the industry as digital as quick as possible. When I say digital, I mean digital platforms, digital data, SSPs, DSPs, trading transactions, the whole thing. Yes, it's screens, but it's really going full on digital. And that is the world that we're living in. And, you know, in about two weeks, we'll go full on meta. Yeah. Well, (laughs) we already have a a guest for the metaverse. Great. And that's a great point because I think too many times it's kind of sit and wait, sit and wait, and let's see what happens as opposed to just throwing out a bunch of opportunities that sit out there. The next topic I want to talk to you about, we in the industry, we meet a lot of people, salespeople, you meet a lot of people. And in this new world that we live in, authenticity, that to me is such a powerful word. And if you look at someone like Barry at Surface, you're like, oh yeah, he just knows a lot of people. He's got a big Rolodex. And I'm sure he just knows first name and maybe one thing about that person, you know, kind of the Michael Scott philosophy of, of the Rolodex. But what I've learned over our friendship and over our careers together is it's because you take the time and effort to really cultivate those relationships. And it's difficult in this world that we live in today. You know, you can allude it to, you know, show business where it's like, oh yeah, I just want to meet the celebrities and, and churn them out quick and say that I know that person. You're an extremely authentic person. And I, I don't say that to very many people at all. Talk to me about the importance of authenticity beyond just selling, but just, you know, back to our point about being a good human and what's the importance behind authenticity and, and then we'll, we'll jump into why that's relevant in advertising. Yeah. And thank you for noticing that, Ian. It means a lot to me. You know, it starts out to some degree with my curiosity and my passion. And I just love really getting to the essence of people and who they are. And I, I think I've got a pretty good sense of sizing people up. And I, you know, I see the way a person looks, acts, talks, and walks. And I, I kind of get the essence. And then I want to find out more. And I want to, you know, and we're all beautiful humans. You know, what makes one tick? And one do this and one do that. And I'm, I'm continually curious and fascinated by it. And at the end of the day, that's the pleasure and pain of life is the humanity of it. I, I guess as I get older, I get such a little tolerance to the not good humans. And I have just greater appreciation. And, and that's what goes back to Lamar. I mean, God, you know, from you and Tommy and John and Sean and Ross, it, I, I used to love going to see Dot and talking to her, an authentic person who really, I think, ran the underpinnings of a whole company. But what a lovely lady. You're like, it's pouring outside in Baton Rouge. It's one of those crazy, and, and you walk up and Dot gives you that big smile and tells you where to go and what to do. And so I, I, I've got a special place in my heart, evidently, for, for Lamar and you for that reason. But I'm, as you mentioned early on, I, I am passionate and I find that drives a lot. And then connecting to the sales, you know, I've been lucky to have worked and negotiated and been in media and God, I think actually physically doing work and deals in probably 25 countries or 30 around the world. And, you know, one thing I learned fast in my international experience was I could not have a business conversation in Southern Europe or Southern Latin America until we had a meal 
got to know the tenor and timber of who a person really is and get to understand, you know, what kind of person they were. And then you made a decision. Is this a person I can do business with? Is this a person I can get along with, grow and innovate with? And that was a good lesson to me. Now, of course, in, in the U.S. and in the digital times, a lot of that is short-circuited. But it also it also enabled me to develop some of these skills, even on a short-circuited basis, to kind of really get a sense of who and what people are. And and there's a lot of greatness in, in humanity. Yeah, and I think you know when you when you take a step back and you think about, especially on the Addis Home sales side of things, it's a lot of work to do. It's a lot of filling out of spreadsheets. There's a lot of RFPs. But if, if we continue to embrace technology, it'll speed up the nuances of, of the sales transaction and will allow us to be, like you'd said, better humans, but be more collaborative, be more respectful of each other. Not that you're not, but you're so pressed for time. Technology could change that. And then you start to begin to see the authentic self and you truly get to have a relationship and you can call up Barry and say, hey, let's brainstorm or call up, you know, your friends at the out-of-home specialist or the vendor side and say, hey, let's collaborate. I have a pitch and don't worry, I have plenty of time because I have a platform that I can churn out RFPs within minutes. That's going to be game changer for our industry. And the people that are going to emerge are the Barry Fries of the world that are authentic and truly care about individuals beyond just, hey, I'm just trying to make a paycheck and get through my day. You're, you're 100% right on so many levels there, Ian. The, the collaboration, the ideation, that comes from human-to-human contact. I've been on the board of advisors for a wonderful company, Simon Media, a great innovative guy runs it, Dave Morgan, who's built great companies and done very well. And we were always talking for years about how you know a lot of technologies at times can look relatively similar, but it's the human ideation, equation, connection, and discussion that becomes the differential nature there. So that's important. And you make a great point as that helps us with time and energy, then we can really get to, to the humanity of growing businesses. And the authentic self is really what's important. I, I'll give anybody that's interviewing with me a hint. I really try to make people very relaxed when I interview them or I'm having meetings with them because that's when the authentic self comes through. If people are stressed or people are intense or they're under pressure to be somebody else, then you're not really seeing, right. you know, who that person really is. So authenticity is really key, and it just becomes more important as we go on. God, if we haven't learned about the authenticity of being human in the past few years, then I don't know what we are, but you make some great points on that. Yeah. And by the way, part of authenticity is, is fridge surfing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, let's touch on that real fast. So Barry, unfortunately, you know, being in South Louisiana, we always have to chuckle whenever a hurricane comes rolling through New York because everyone panics and they're like, oh, it's the end of the world. And it's like category one. Again, I'm being respectfully growing up in New Orleans, have gone through quite a few. And Hurricane Ida, I believe it was, kind of blew through Louisiana. If you recall, I was sending you videos of the lightning storm and, you know, the trees swinging, you know, 90 plus mile an hour winds. And Barry, two days later, after he's checking on me, he sends me a video refrigerator surfing in his basement after his basement got flooded out. You know, you're, you're always such a character. And that one was great. Although I was concerned about you, I was like, I hope the electricity's turned off because we're about to watch him electrocute himself. But that was a good 10 second surf across the uh, basement there. Yeah, you're right. My, uh, 
my wife says it's all about the core because I fell off the, actually, I fell off and almost hit my head. And uh, oh. I heard that the East German judge gave me a 6.5, so I'm, I'm hanging up. And, and where that came from, it's actually funny how you mentioned it because I was concerned about you two yeah. days early. I'm like, Ian, how's Ida treating you? Okay, little did I know that within an hour, yeah. I would have three feet in my basement and everything would be falling left and right, including the refrigerator, which is floating throughout my basement. But, you know, and I used that in our summit this year because our summit, as you know, the theme was reinvention, revitalization and uh, resilience. And those three R's, I, I put up the metaphorical video of me uh, trying to make the best out of a, a bad situation there. But, you know, there's something I, I do want to say on that because it kind of ties in, I think, a little bit into what we're talking about and the Churchillian method of leadership. You know, we had a, a good summit this year. It was just wonderful. People came out and, I mean, it was great. We had so many great reviews. And, and I could have easily taken the easy way out and done it online, like still a lot of big events had been online, Ian. And I and my team had a lot of sleepless nights. I mean, we, for three, four months, when Delta reared itself back, you know, we were like, how are we going to make it a safe environment? Are our speakers going to show up? Are our people going to show up? And we did a lot of work. We did a lot of analysis. We worked to make the, the venue safe, a high ceiling place with open garage doors and everything else. And also, the out-of-home industry needed to get out. We need to show people if we're selling ads and saying that people are getting out, we need to put our money where our mouth is, or as Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. Yep. But I got to tell you, there were a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of anxiety, a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, a lot of, like you said, collaboration with friends like you and others. And that was not something we could have figured out on an algorithm. That was a lot of uh, conversations, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And not wood, it really worked out great. So, But you know, sometimes you just have to take a little bit of a calculated chance, have some foresight, and uh, and lead. And actually, it's... My, my boss, his book, Ted Turner at the time, I don't know if you recall, but it was a great term actually driven, I think, originally from the Revolutionary War, and it was entitled, Lead, Follow, or Get Out of the Way. And it's an important principle. Yeah, for sure. As we wrap up here, you've, you've always been a forward thinker. You've always used your relationships to better understand and listen and as you'd mentioned, walk around and manage. And I think that that's a key takeaway. And if I could leave our listeners with one thing, it's, you know, be more like Barry and be curious, be authentic. And look, at the end of the day, if you're going to have a job, you might as well have great friends and, and learn something along the way. And I think all of our listeners can, can thank you and everyone in the industry for inspiring us and opening up relationships so we can continue to flourish as an out-of-home industry. So I can't thank you enough. This, is, this has been a treat. And like I said, I was a little nervous because normally you're interviewing me, but this was, this was definitely a lot of fun, my friend. Ian, you evolved. Every year, you're one of the great ones, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you for my daughter's stuff, which you mentioned early on in yeah. New Orleans. I don't know if you want to mention yeah, that. Please, but, um, let's, yeah, let's, really end, let's end by telling that quick story. That was a lot of fun. I wasn't invited to Barry's daughter's wedding, which was in New Orleans. That's okay. And so, therefore, his daughter wasn't going to get a wedding gift. So, in return, Barry, go ahead and finish the story for me. Well, the, the most exciting time was when everybody got off the plane for the wedding. We uh, had blanketed the path from uh, the airport. Louis Armstrong, right? Yep. 
from Louis Armstrong to downtown New Orleans, where my daughter lived for six years, and it's one of my other affinities to Lamar because we just love New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, the place is blanketed with digital screens of my daughter and her husband hugging each other on their engagement uh, afternoon. And it was just so wonderful to see. And it brought it laughs and tears to everybody's eyes. And uh, I can't thank you enough for you. And you, you made an indelible mark on, on fries and family throughout the world with that. It was wonderful. Yeah, best wedding gift ever, digital billboard. We have to start putting that in registries. <laughs> All right, my friend. This was this was great. That's real crazy and great to see you and talk to you, pal. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to Lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.